You're listening to Coast to Coast Latino. Well, here we are on the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Latino. We're listening to the incredible Richie Valance, also uh, known as uh, Richard Steven Venezuela. His short-lived life gave us quite a number of incredible hits, beginning with this one, Come On, Let's Go. After this, uh, he came out with the song Donna. Then after that, he came out with La Bamba. After coming out with La Bamba, without a doubt, he became uh, the forefather of Chicano Latin rock. He was inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, his short-lived life, unfortunately, was ended very tragically in an airplane crash. In 1959, February 3rd, 1959, along in that plane crash was Buddy Holly, J.P. the Big Bopper Richardson, and uh, of course the pilot. Uh, if you get a chance, check out the movie, check out his music on iTunes. Uh, also, uh, there's a, a number of YouTube uh, videos you might want to check out would show him performing live. Again, uh, welcome to Coast to Coast Latino. My name is Adrian Perez. I am your host. There's a number of uh, things that we want to cover today. It is uh, the end of the week, but let me tell you, it, it's been a, a very interesting week, to say the least. Uh, but let's start with uh, some uh, Latino news going across the U.S. Not sure how many of you are, are aware of the significant impact that uh, uh, Latino immigrants have on the U.S. economy. Uh, when we start looking at where they go, what they do, and they've been tracking this, uh, it's very significant. In California, for example, we've seen where Latino immigrants uh, move in into a blighted uh, uh, area of a city, they they come in, they fix it up, and they change the entire economic environment of that community. In Los Angeles specifically, we saw it in Watts, uh, in San Francisco, we saw it in on the Mission District, and uh, in in Oakland, uh, San Leandro, Sacramento. We've we're seeing it in Dallas. We're seeing it in Houston where Latino immigrants come in and they take over a blighted area and they make it into a, a very economic, vibrant, economically vibrant community. We've seen it in, in Florida. And in fact, in Florida, they've taken over entire malls that were once in blighted areas and completely shut down. And nobody knew what they were going to do with, uh, with the mall. They thought they were going to tear it down. And instead, uh, they found a, a complete market. And uh, so, without a doubt, it, it, uh, it created a buzz. And it created enough of an interest for CNBC to uh, put out a story called Against Tough Odds, Hispanic Businesses Are Strengthening 
Communities Across America. It's written by Janet Alvarez. Janet also has a column called Janet on the Money with CNBC. And uh, she goes on to uh, talk to Jennifer Rodriguez, who is the current president of the Greater Philadelphia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And Jennifer talks about the, the, uh, the impact that specifically Mexican immigrants have had in South Philadelphia. Uh, she talks about how South Philly uh, uh, became uh, a, a disinvestment place where nobody wanted to invest money and many were wondering uh, what was going to become of that particular once vibrant uh, commercial corridor. Uh, she goes on to say that uh, uh, Mexican immigrants came in, they saw the opportunity because of inexpensive rent. They came in uh, and they started businesses. Today it is a very vibrant, uh, renewed uh, corridor, business corridor, that now has investors coming in. They have people living in the area. It's completely changed the entire South Philly community. Rodriguez says, our community knows how to find opportunity where others may not. We have done it before. We can do it again. And then she points out to some very key statistics. The statistics, by the way, were, um, were collected by the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative. And if you've never heard of the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative, my recommendation is go on their website. Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative. And uh, you're going to be amazed to the amount of information that's available there for Latino businesses as, as well as non-Latino businesses who are interested in investing in the Latino community. But uh, the Stanford Latino Entrepreneurship Initiative says that between 2009 and 2019, the number of Latino businesses grew by 34% compared to only 1% of all business owners in the United States. Did you hear that? 34% compared to only 1%. In other words, Latinos are the ones that are driving the growth of small businesses across the United States. And it goes on to say that between 2018 and 2019, Latino-owned businesses reported an average revenue growth of 14% outpacing the growth of the entire U.S. economy. 14%. That's how much money Latino immigrants are, 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 are infusing into the U.S. economy. And that's really exciting stuff. And let me tell you, folks, when, when you look at communities like South Philly, you look at communities like Watts, and you see what what happens when uh, uh, Mexican immigrants, Latino immigrants come in. You'll see a very dynamic change when given the opportunity. They're not coming here to look for handouts. They're not coming here to look for welfare, as as many political people have been saying. This is, in fact, a, a group of people that are looking for the real American dream. 
being able to start your own business, being able to really invest in your community and being able to hire. Because here's the other thing is Latino businesses hire the largest number of Latinos. I mean, nobody else hires them. So why not Latinos? And it makes a lot of sense. It's good for the economy and it's good for the entire uh, Latino community. Uh, the article also talks about a very interesting technology breakthrough that, that happened during uh, COVID-19. As many of you are aware, uh, sports uh, pretty much shut down and has been shut down for the last seven months. Uh, there is a uh, rugby player, college rugby player. Her name is Jesse Garcia. And yes, Latina. And uh, she suffered a concussion. Uh, but her coach did not recognize the symptoms of a concussion. And as she continued to play, her condition worsened. The problem, she says, and it's a common one, apparently, that people just aren't equipped to readily recognize head injuries, except for the most significant ones. This particular concussion, by the way, is very similar to the ones you see in football, you see in soccer, basketball, etc. And because of the uh, deleterious effects, uh, it absolutely warrants some kind of attention. And so during the, the uh, pandemic, she came up with an idea called Tosuda. It's a head impact sensor that is cost-effective and easy to use. Uh, Garcia says that I originally envisioned its use in organized sports such as college and professional teams, but COVID caused sports teams to stop for a while, so we had to look for other markets. Uh, her company that she started called Tosuda is a manufacturing company that develops safety products for sports and industrial applications, including the Tosuda Head Impact Indicator, a device that attaches to any helmet and indicates when a hit may have caused a head injury. So here we have a Latina who came out and took advantage of an opportunity that she saw uh, because of head injuries. Uh, again, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Latinos have an ability to look at things very differently. And especially right now, we, we are entrepreneurial in spirit. And so we go out and we start businesses. We start doing things that are not in the ordinary. And that's okay because we aren't ordinary people. The CNBC article also talks about a gentleman by the name of Mike Diaz. He is uh, Puerto Rican uh, born and uh, he started contracting in the utilities industry. Now here's something interesting. Uh, Latinos are not very active or very involved in the utilities area Although there is the uh, uh, 
uh, national Latino utilities uh, uh, organizations that 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 have slowly gotten off the ground. But when it comes to utilities contracting small businesses, you know, 99.9% of those contractors are Caucasian and specifically Caucasian male. And so all of a sudden, uh, Mike Diaz says, hey, you know what? I've been working in the uh, construction field for a while, uh, specifically dealing with utilities. Uh, uh, I want to start my own company. So he started a company called Semper Utilities. Now, he, uh, uh, Mr. Diaz, uh, is Puerto Rican born, uh, a native, and his uh, parents were uh, small business owners. They used to run a uh, restaurant. And uh, Diaz had uh, did not have an easy upbringing. He didn't go straight to uh, college out of uh, out of high school. Instead, uh, he started to uh, uh, get his college degrees while he was working. He he went to school at, uh, at at night. In his first year, get this, in his first year operating Semper Utilities, he generated five million dollars in revenue. And in 2020, to date, he has generated close to $18 million and now employs 40 people. And because of that, he estimates that uh, he will be uh, growing even larger, which means he may double the number of people that he employs to 80. Uh, Diaz is... Uh, content with his own success. He's investing in the future of others too. Uh, he's partnering with Congreso de Latinos Unidos in uh, Philadelphia. And uh, he purchased a 10-acre farm where he teaches individuals how to cable splice and other trade techniques that are essential to start uh, at the at the bottom of the utilities workforce. This is what I'm talking about. Individuals who have vision and individuals who want to pass things on to their kids. So when a small business owner really invests in his community, there is a long-term impact. Do we see a lot of small business owners investing in their community? Yes. Again, you need to look at the areas that they move into. It's usually in a blighted area where the rent is affordable and they have the opportunity to actually do things as creatively as possible, and they do. We see it over and over again. You know, kudos to our community, kudos to our Latino entrepreneurs and small business owners. And during this pandemic, I highly recommend you shop Latino. Shop Latino. Adopt that, please. Shop Latino. Go to local small shops and don't be afraid to buy stuff because a lot of it is very good. Uh, uh, whether it's a manufacturing uh, or whether you're recommending somebody for a job, shop Latino. And continuing with uh, Latino national news, the... Uh, 
organization, Unidos U.S., which was once called the National Council of La Raza, which happens to be the largest Latino advocacy group in the entire nation, is spending its first week of early voting in Arizona. Uh, Janet Murguia, who is the uh, president uh, and CEO of the organization, says she sees Latino voters who make up one-fourth of eligible voters in Arizona to be able to make a difference uh, in this particular uh, uh, presidential contest. Uh, their goal is to not only uh, elect Joe Biden as president, but to flip the power in Congress to the Democrats. And they're targeting uh, Arizona because Arizona is a swing state. It is, in fact, a battleground state. And uh, the Latino community now represents 25% of the electorate there. And uh, in other words, Latinos are going to make a difference in this particular election if Latinos vote in large numbers in Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Texas. But Unidos U.S. is focusing all of their energy uh, on uh, Arizona. And Murguia goes on and she tweets, uh, spending the week in Arizona, a priority state for the election, to make sure our community is informed and ready to vote safely and securely. Latino voters can determine who wins the presidential election. And uh, a lot of people firmly believe that. That's why she is working with quite a number of organizations in um, Arizona, including Chicanos por la Causa, Promise Arizona, the Arizona Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the Arizona Education Association, and uh, several state legislators, uh, including Tony Navarrete out of uh, Phoenix. So the entire effort is to turn around and turn out the Latino vote. Pretty exciting stuff, that's for sure. The uh, Tampa Bay Times is reporting today that uh, abortion is leading Latino voters one direction and immigration is going a different direction. In an article entitled, Abortion Leads One Way, Immigration Another for Many Evangelical Latino Voters, Juan Carlos Chavez writes that, that pastors have been making their voices loud and clear to their parishioners. And that is, uh, it's our duty and job to defend the ethical and moral values that guide us. That's according to Angel Marcial, a Puerto Rican native. And uh, so he goes on to say that uh, it, it has to be done through voting. It has to be controlled through voting. So that's how they're tying in religion into politics. Uh, when you look at the different types of, uh, of uh, churches that there are, especially in Florida, Tennessee, 
Texas. Many of them are evangelical, and, and of course, many of them have Latinos, active Latinos in their community. Uh, the uh, evangelical community, as, as many of you are aware, is very much supported by the Republican Party and their Christian values uh, in general are pretty much the same. They reject abortion and they have issues with uh, gay marriage in particular. Uh, among many Latino evangelicals, in fact, immigration and social justice are prompting a reevaluation of their focus. Some feel torn between the religious beliefs and their racial identity. So now you have evangelicals that are saying, hold, hold, hold on a second. We may have these particular views on abortion. And we may have these particular views on gay marriage. But there's something else here. It's called immigration and how immigrants are being treated in this country, specifically children, being caged. So the uh, Pew Research Center went out and conducted a study to assess what are the uh, what are the uh, impacts, what are the uh, what's the mindset like, and what they found is that white and Latino evangelicals overall they cast ballots at a rate nearly double their share of the population. Did you hear that? Double their rate of the population. 26% compared to 15%. In other words, evangelicals are 26% more likely to vote than the rest of the Latino population who's eligible to vote. And as a result, you have Trump and you have Biden going after these particular Latinos. One of them focused, of course, on the religious aspect of of the evangelical voter and the other candidate going after the social and immigration issues affecting Latino evangelicals. And you have a variety of, of Puerto Rican, Cuban, Mexican evangelical pastors that have become the forefront of the voice of Latino voters. And for those of you who, um, who believe that uh, the, the, the specific parties are in fact the voice, you're, you're mistaken. You need to look at, in the church area, in the religious area, you need to look at the pastors. In the local communities, you need to look at the real leaders of that community, the individuals who are active and doing things. They're the voice of Latinos. And if you're looking at elected officials to be your voice, surprise. Many of those elected officials are more concerned about their political uh, uh, survival. As a result, they're adopting political views that are inconsistent or maybe inconsistent with yours. So a very interesting dynamic when it comes to Latino votes. And they're, they're the uh, both parties are going after the Latino vote. They're understanding how the Latino vote functions, who are the key individuals, 
and now you're seeing uh, real aggressive campaigning um, from both political candidates. Speaking about political issues at the national level, uh, there's no question about it, our federal government has some issues and they need to be addressed. And only voters can make that difference. Only mo voters can actually fix the problems that are, that are currently existing. Uh, there is a, a question abound regarding the mental capacity of the President of the United States. Yes, there are questions about Donald Trump's mental abilities. He has been afflicted with COVID-19. He has been treated and is being treated with a cocktail of experimental drugs. These, these drugs that they're infusing him with have not, have not been authorized by the Food and Drug Administration. And they are experimental. They're also infusing the guy with tons of steroids to keep him going. And of course, he comes out and tells everybody, I'm doing great. Now we learn that when he visited the hospital, Walter Reed Hospital, last year in November of uh, 2019, uh, that he had all the physicians sign a non-disclosure statement, a non-disclosure agreement that they would not disclose any information about Donald Trump's health and why he visited the hospital. Anybody who did not, any doctor that did not sign that agreement was not allowed to neither be in the room nor be able to treat Donald Trump. So now we have COVID-19 uh, that we know not only affects the lungs, but affects the brain. Uh, and doctors are saying he's okay, but the impression that many people are getting is that the doctors are merely following the direction of the patient. You see, doctors are supposed to be patient advocates. And they listen to their patients, and they follow the patient's directions. The doctors have now authorized President Trump to start going out and start doing uh, political rallies. He has denied to do a social distance uh, online debate and instead wants an in-person debate. Joe Biden, on the other hand, says, well, wait a minute, you've got COVID-19. I don't want you in the same room as me. And... Since uh, Trump has decided not to do an online debate, uh, it appears that the debate scheduled for next week has been called off and they'll be doing their own thing. But because of the questions regarding the uh, president's capacity, now we have the House of Representatives going out and trying to create a panel to gauge the president's capacity to perform his job. And if they find, if this, if this particular uh, panel is created and that panel finds 
issues with the president's capacity to perform his job, they can potentially remove President Donald Trump from office because they would be able to qualify it as a case of decided debility. Now, uh, <clears throat> there are a number of people who have been applying a lot of pressure on the president to allow Joe, uh, uh, Mike Pence, the vice president, to take over. And unfortunately, uh, that hasn't happened. The 25th of the Amendment of the Constitution of the United States allows for someone else to take over in the event that the president is incapable and because the president and his ego have not allowed for the 25th amendment to be invoked the uh the congress is saying hey enough is enough <laughs> we need to look at this and we need to look at whether or not you are fit to be president of the united states based on the uh the uh debate that happened a couple of days ago with uh Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, uh, I think, from my perspective anyway, I think Mike Pence, without a doubt, is of sound mind and body to be able to take over while the president recovers from, from COVID-19. But the president, because of his ego again, doesn't feel that. In his tweets, uh, he attacks his own people again. He's attacking William Barr. He's attacking uh, his FBI people. He's he's just on, on this constant attack mode and making decisions that are extremely weird. For example, the uh, uh, stimulus relief bill that Congress was negotiating with his administration, all of a sudden he killed it because he says, if I get elected, we can start talking about this. Really? You're making a decision that is impacting millions of Americans who are hurting right now, that are having problems making rent, that are having problems putting food on the table. And you're saying that it's contingent upon whether or not you get reelected? Yes, there is a need for an evaluation, and uh, we'll see what happens with that legislation. Anyway, so this is my cue to uh, call it a day. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, by all means, reach out to us at Latino at CoastToCoastLatino.com. That's Latino at CoastToCoastLatino.com. We're brought to you by the Vida de Oro Foundation, U-Haul, and OIC Tax Services. I want to thank you again for joining us. My name is Adrian Perez, and until the Wednesday edition, stay safe. <laughs>